Like I want a more accessible joy. I, I believed for so long that like joy was just something was something you achieve your way into. Like you achieve your way into feeling good enough. You achieve like once these things happen, then the feeling comes. And and then I've now I'm like, ah oh, man, not what happens. Like that's really not. Um, and so now I have to find a new way. And that's been like the crux of my life. It's just like, how do I find a way to continue to do things that bring me joy, but also not put all of my self-worth and all of my self-esteem on like whether they are received in the way that I want them to be received. That was Jamie Varon, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 172. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I don't have any magic answers. I can't give you a miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything, really. But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm so over that quick fix approach, honestly. And my guess is maybe you are too. Perhaps that's why you're here. So we'll be diving into today's episode in a few minutes, but before that, I have two quick things that I want to share with you. The first is a reminder that this is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, where we talk about things like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health. We talk about grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. My hope is that these conversations will make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, while also challenging you to consider a new perspective from someone whose lived experiences might be different from your own. That's really important. And then the other thing that I want to tell you is that you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions on this podcast because these conversations, they're 100% listener funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations do indeed make you laugh, think, and feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. This tangible financial support, that's what allows me to keep making new episodes and it pays everyone involved in making Real Talk Radio. That includes me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests. It's been my dream for years to be able to pay all my guests, and our community recently met the funding goal that makes that possible now. So all the guests whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for their time with us, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. I know it's not the norm in the podcast industry to pay guests or to have a listener-funded show, but I fully believe that where we spend our money, it's a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio. So that's what your financial support contributes to. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series called Notes of Grit and Grace. That's where I share my real life in real time. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for live events and retreats. 
Also, 5% of each season's profit is donated to a different social justice organization. With past donations going to places like Trans Lifeline, Black Lives Matter, and Planned Parenthood, so you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution as well. Over on our Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together after the release of each new season, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to support the show. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Jamie Varen. Jamie is a writer with an emphasis on self-love, acceptance, and the daily work of building a life that feels good. Each week in her popular Friday Letters series, she shares stories on exactly those topics, and she also owns Shatterbox, a boutique design company with a passion for creating bold branding and inventive, colorful websites. In this episode, Jamie talks about what she learned from spending the past year living in France and about the logistical things that made that move possible. We talk a lot about money, particularly her experiences of being the breadwinner in her marriage, and she shares stories about the evolution of her eight-year partnership with her husband, Hossem. We also dig into an honest conversation about friendship, how our social needs have changed over the years, why it can feel hard to make friends as an adult, what we each want and don't want from our friendships right now, what the expectations for friendships are, especially for women, and so much more. Jamie is one of my personal closest friends, and it was so good to have her back on the show for a third time. I hope that you love this conversation as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right. Yay. We are rolling. Jamie, welcome back. Yay! Thank you for having me. You are the first three-peat guest, I think. Record setter. Record setting. Real Talk Radio guest appearances. (laughs) Um, I was just looking because I didn't remember how long it had been since we recorded last time, and it's been almost a year since you were last on the podcast. Set the scene for us a little bit. What was going on for you specifically at this time last year? Well, I think I had just got to Paris. So we recorded when I was in Paris. Um, So I would think it's a little bit more than a year than it's been um, because I got to Paris last March and I was on an adventure. I, my husband and I had decided to, at first it was going to be six months and then we extended it to a year and we were in France. And I, at the time was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And it was freezing in Paris, like snowing in Paris. And it ended up being the best year I've ever had. So I guess it was a good decision. At the time, I didn't know it. I was just like, I guess I'm in Paris. Like, here we go. I mean, yeah, the best year that you've ever had, that's a thing to say. So I'm excited to to dig into that. Before we get into that, will you share a little bit about why you decided to go to France and then ultimately to spend a year there? Well, yeah. So 
I mean, I've done a lot of kind of one-way ticket travel to Europe um, because since 2009, I've worked for myself. Um, only like maybe, a, I think it was a year stint that I had um, a job with a company, but that was is still remote. And since then, I mean, I spent a good amount of months in Rome in 2009. And then 2011, I spent a year in Paris and I met my husband there who is from Tunisia, not France. Um, and we fell in love and we were there in Paris together. And ever since he came to America in 2013, we've always talked about, we want to go back and, you know, experience Europe. And it turned out that like 2016 and 2017 were very tumultuous for both of us, um, for us as a couple. Um, it was just everything that could possibly go wrong did. Some of it our fault, some of it like the fault of just the universe, it felt like, conspiring against us. And by the time it was like the end of 2017, we were just like, we need to go. We need to go do something else and reset this like default life that we're in. I mean, I don't think I was as clear at the time that that was happening, uh, but now I see that that's what happened. And I will say that Hossam, my husband, like definitely pushed it a lot more. Like, I mean, he feels more comfortable in Europe. He speaks French. He, um, there's a lot more Tunisians there. So he wanted to experience that and be closer to his family and everything. And it just went from there. Um, it, it all kind of lined up. Like we got, I thought it was going to be really hard to get the French visa for a long stay uh, visa, but it wasn't. They approved us within a day and they were like, here's your year long visa. Bye. We were like, okay. And then we got one way tickets to Paris from LA direct flight on Air France for, I think it was $130 each on like the exact day we needed to go. So we were kind of, okay, I guess this is lining up for us. This is the first time in a while something feels really lined up and doesn't feel like there's a bunch of barriers in front of us. And I had a lot of anxiety about it. I was scared about, you know, would my company do well? Uh, I'm a designer and like creative strategist and I had clients and I was you know, I am going to be nine hours ahead of them. I was, you know, not as flexible as I once had been, but it turned out really well. And it was exactly the kind of reset we needed. And, you know, we spent a lot of time just us. So it was a really good time for our marriage without having a bunch of obligations, a bunch of distractions. And we got really, really clear on how we want our life to feel and how we want to do our life. Because I think that when we were, before we went to France, we were living in Los Angeles and it just felt like we're just doing things that don't, we don't even know if we like, but we're just here and we're in this and we're in North Hollywood because that's just where my brothers are. And, you know, it didn't feel like these were like empowered, good decisions for us specifically. It was just like, well, we need somewhere to live. So that's where we're going to live. And mm -hmm. I, I, we both wanted to get out of that. We wanted something much more intentional for our lives. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff in there that I would love to 
ask more questions about. You mentioned in passing that 2016 and 2017 were tumultuous years specifically for you two as a couple. Will you talk about that a little more? Yeah. Well, you know, when you bring, so Hossam arrived in the U.S. in 2013, in May of 2013. Um, When you bring somebody on, it's called a fiance visa. I learned a lot about immigration um, when I just, when we decided to get married and you bring somebody on a fiance visa and you have to get married within 90 days. And so I had to like set up our life. We were apart for eight months before he got the visa. Um, he was in Tunisia. I was in America and it was just, we picked Los Angeles cause that's where I'm from the Bay area near San Francisco, but we picked Los Angeles because it was like, We'll just pick there, I guess. There wasn't a lot of thought to it. And we, when he came, we were married within a month. And then it just felt like life got really, really real. And at the time, I thought, I'm like much older than I think. And I actually was really young. I was not even 30 yet. And I was dealing with, you know, immigrating someone to the United States, getting married, helping them like have a life here in the United States. Like you really underestimate how long it takes, how comfortable someone feels. Like, I mean, he had to learn, he was learning the language. He was learning the way of America, everything. It all sounds very romantic until it's the reality. And it's, it's really hard. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. so it had take, I had thought that it would have taken a lot quicker for him to acclimate and get into it. And I was also going through a lot of career changes, a lot of personal changes at the time. And we just couldn't find our place. And we obviously loved each other. We love each other very much. And, but it was still the reality of day to day was really hard. And so 2016, 2017 felt like things had kind of come to a head where, I mean, we weren't like at each other's throats or anything. It wasn't like that kind of difficult, but it was very, you know, how, like life was really stressful. We were in debt. It took a lot of time to get out of debt. I'm now out of debt. Money was stressful. He was having a hard time finding a job. I was getting my head wrapped around the fact that like, I'm going to be the breadwinner And that is, that took a little time for me. I never thought that like I wanted to be provided for, but I always assumed I would be like, maybe it would be equal. But when you bring somebody from another country, it's hard for them to match like the privileged, um, you know, I grew up in a, an affluent area. I'm white. Uh, I speak English. I went to college. Like there's, you can't match that kind of privilege in America. Like we have these stories of, immigrants like they and that's true but it takes time it's not usually like you know 30 year old immigrants um so it takes time and I think it was just we we were recognizing that the way that things were going in 2016 and 2017 just like was not what we wanted and what were we going to do about it it was just not how we really wanted to experience life and I don't know how else to really explain it because it was more like it was just anxiety all the time, stress all the time. And we were helping each other through it. But it was like, does life really need to be this way? Do we really need to be this stressed? 
I don't think that we do. Yeah, that that idea of, you know, it's not like you're saying we made this choice to move to France and magically there was never any stress. Obviously, I know that's not what you're saying, but that I think this point that like, sure, we can't control all the things, but getting very realistic about what is in your control, right? Whether that's a logistical change, whether that's a perspective change, right? And obviously it sounds like you did a bunch of both. And I think there's like definitely a really helpful reminder in that, like especially when you're feeling, I know for me, like when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, while I'm feeling really anxious, it's easy to default into everything's a mess, everything's too big for me, right? And to then just stop and be like, okay, like what actually can I control, right? And for you guys to have had those decisions and to decide to like slowly but purposefully make a couple of changes, I don't know, there's like something in that that even if like I'm not moving to France, for example, but that's like very relatable. Well, I was very clear that this doesn't solve everything because I remember specifically in the past being, I could be sad in front of the Eiffel Tower. I could be sad on the Metro. I could hate my life in Berlin, which I have. Like, I mean, I've been, you can be sad. You can have all your same problems anywhere. And so I think by the time we actually left, I was like, I want to use this time in a productive way. Like I don't want to, um, you know, it, we were finally out of debt by the time we left, because that was a big goal. I was like, I don't really don't want to take this debt with us and, you know, be in France and accruing more debt. Um, and we were both just like on the same page with that. And we also both just knew like, it's not going to be, there are going to be challenges. Of course, like you're not living in your same apartment, you have a language barrier, all this stuff, but what can we do to make the most about where we are and how can we use this time productively to see, you know, do we want to live in Europe? Like, is that something that we really, is that something we're going to commit to? And, you know, it's paperwork, it's time, whatever, but you know, it's not impossible to do so. Or is this going to be just like a one-off one year that we get to experience a bunch of things that we're excited about and have wanted to do? And so I think there wasn't this oh, it's going to be so perfect in France. Everything's going to be solved. We're never going to be stressed. But we both went into it with a level head. I mean, I especially went into it with a level head because I was almost like, it might not even be that great there. (laughs) Like I I had like a other expectation because I know that moving somewhere doesn't fix everything and it has its own pros and cons. I mean, there's for every good thing, there's something that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. You mentioned having to wrap your head around being the main earner in your marriage. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more, starting with what's something about that topic that you wish people were more open and honest about? Well, I wish people would talk about it in general. Um, cause I have conversations and like Instagram DMS and emails with people, with women that it's the case, but there seems to be this kind of still like this is happening, but I don't really want to say, and I don't, I don't really have an opportunity in a public way to bring it up all the time. I'm not, that's not really like something I'm always talking about, but it's not something I keep from people. And I have said many times that like this happened because I have my own company. We went to France 
And that has its own challenges because, you know, my partner couldn't work um, on the visa that we had. So it's not like this was this dual income type of thing. And I think that people, that not enough women recognize that, like, we should be proud of this. Like, this is hot. We've never, it, for many generations, women haven't even had the opportunity to do that. Like, it's it's not even like there's no examples because there really aren't. But it's also, this is like a new thing that women are capable of doing. We can have jobs that like rival what men makes. I mean, we're still making less, but we can. And we do have those opportunities and, and all of that. And I wish we were talking more about that because I think that in general, p- people don't really talk about how much money they make or, or even like how they're supporting their lifestyle that's the biggest thing with Instagram is like being on there going, how does this person even make money? Like, what are they doing? I feel like half of our private conversations are that exact thing, but had it, but where does their money come from? Why won't they just talk about money? And obviously, as we both always say, like no one owes us that, but there's a reason that I think so many people are craving transparency around that exact thing because it can be really misleading. Absolutely. Also like you feel bad about yourself if like money is tricky and actually like for all the people that are like money is just energy and da da da, it's like money is hard to make. Like it's hard for people to part with their money. And so, you know, unless you were born into money and you're just around people that have money. Yeah. Okay. Money is just an exchange of energy because you're just rich people spreading around money. But like, that's not actually the case for like what 99% of us in this world. Um, so I think like there's definitely something to be said and talked about with that around money in general, but especially, I mean, I've seen more stuff with women about being breadwinners, but at the same time, it's always kind of like in relation to men, like, Oh, I don't want to say, you know, I think it emasculates men. And, and I mean, I have, Women can't emasculate men. Sorry. Men are in control of their own masculinity. I can't do anything for that. A man cannot validate or invalidate my femininity. So why do I have the responsibility to emasculate or mas- or make a man feel like a man? It's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Like, And I think that like if you're with a partner that is threatened, you know, that's not I, – I just – I don't know why – I understand why, understand the cultural implications of that, but all this stuff around it makes so many women ashamed to be like, I'm making the money, which is cool. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, we should be celebrating that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think the like flip side of that too, like, because mostly everything as you and I always talk about is like a both and like celebrating it and also having space to talk about the fact that like, there's also pressure there there's pressure. There's also a lot of, there's no examples. I mean, we only see really what we see on TV or movies is like the, the high, you know, high power career woman and the husband like always, you know, resents her. And and like, that's all we see. We don't see like an actual functioning relationship with that. Um, And I think that there needs to be some boundaries breaking with that because there's also like celebrity women don't talk about that. It's like, 
I, I see you. I know you're making more money than him, but you're not talking about it. But men will like talk about it openly. So there definitely needs to be some more conversation about it. I mean, I probably want to make more space to talk about it. Um, it just, I don't really, it doesn't really come up enough for me, but, um, I probably should just keep bringing it up because I think it's really important. And at first it wasn't really that, like I was ashamed. It was just, it's hard. Like it's very hard to have that pressure on yourself. Like, especially in France, for example, when I mean, there was no way to have a second income. Like Hossam at times has had an income, but it's not, it can't match mine quite yet. Um, maybe one day. And so the place, like what you said about having space to talk about it is like, yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And on top of it, like women don't get paid as much as men. So it's a lot of pressure on less money. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's life giving and it's empowering, but also it's hard. Yeah. One of the things that I am always interested when people are honest about, you know, even more of like an umbrella topic than specifically like who earns more money or where money comes from is just how financial conversations tend to operate within a partnership, right? Like what works well? What is it that people tend to like argue or disagree about when it comes to money? Are there like regular monthly meetings that are happening? Is there like a joint budget? Like I'm just like interested how people make these decisions because I feel like at least like talking about my own experience, so much of what I was taught about like the link between love and money, if I look at, you know, it comes from how our parents handle things or like what, like you said, like we're shown in the media. And I was never given the skills to like really have good communication around money in like romantic, especially like cohabitating partnerships. Like all of that has been stuff that I've learned for myself. And so I'm curious, obviously, like I'm not looking for you to have capital A answers, but like how has that worked for you guys? Like, is there something that works particularly well? Is there something that you tend to argue or disagree about or have to compromise more when it comes to money? Well, we, we fight about money a lot less now. (laughs) We used to, and I got, well, because let me be clear for a very long time, I was horrible with money. I, not, not because I didn't know what to do, I, I, but I guess that's part of it, but because I was in a, I was classic avoidant about it. I just didn't want to look at my bank account. I didn't want to think about it. And I think part of that is just like growing up without money, like without a lot of money, always seeing struggle. I have my mom remarried when I was like two. So I have three very formative parents, like stepdad, mom, dad, and all three of them approach money differently and in very intense ways. So it's like, none of them are just kind of, Oh, let me teach you about money. It's like they all three have very strong opinions about money and strong ways of doing things. Like my stepdad is always in fear mode about money. Go the comfort route, like stay small, do what's do what's consistent. My mom is like, you know, always in kind of anxiety about money, but yet she does really well. She has her own business. My dad like has debt. He's still working. He's in his seventies, like never had savings. So a lot of different things around money. And I brought that into my relationship and Hossem grew up in actual poverty. So he has his own things about money too, that we've worked through and talked about. Granted, 
even though he grew up in poverty, he has a lot less hangups about money than me, which is like Americans got some stuff going on. <laughs> money, like we are have so much money in this country. And yet I look at Hossam and his like developing country and they don't have a lot of money. And yet they seem to know a lot more about like how to live life. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, this is weird. Like Americans are really have a lot of neuroses, I think, which isn't surprising. Like there's a lot of stuff around money once there is money to be had and to make. And so we used to fight about money, of course. I mean, we didn't know how to really communicate about it. Um, I would, you know, kind of like default into some things that my mom used to say to my stepdad or my dad used to say to me and da, 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 da. Like, and I had to finally get good with money and figure that out for myself. And Hossam's actually very good with money. He's a good saver. Um, but it was me that was really like kind of driving the car a little bit, like off the road. And since then, I mean, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Granted, we're pretty honest, but sometimes things get a little uncomfortable. But we don't like share. I mean, we have a joint account, but I kind of manage it. And I've had to work hard on the biggest thing is like, I've had to work hard on not being controlling. Because, you know, if you're the one making the money, and you're the one kind of deciding where the money goes, it's hard to not be controlling and, and kind of feel like you have more power in the relationship. And that actually is really not a healthy way of being in a, in a relationship. And so I've had to really learn how to share in those conversations and be like, well, what do you think? And what, what, you know, what do you want to do with this money? Or what, do, how do you want to spend money? And how do you want to prioritize and things like that? Um, because otherwise it feels like, well, I should be making all the decisions. And I mean, it doesn't make me look great to admit that, but oh, well, I don't really care. I just think that the, anyone who's in that position probably struggles with that. And I'd rather be aware of it than like, you know, harm, harm Hosem by not being aware of it because I have. And so, you know, we just have to approach money like with a complete radical honesty um, I don't like keep anything from him. He doesn't keep anything from me. We talk about the ways that we want to use money. Um, and we talk about every purchase. I mean, not like small stuff, but yeah. And we both like are very uncomfortable with debt. So now it's like our complete focus to never, ever keep debt or do anything like that. We wanted savings. So we've gotten on the same page and still it's, and still it has its challenges because talking about money brings up things for people that is tough. And, but I think like for me, I just push through. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know that we don't want to talk about this right now, but we have to talk about it. I'm kind of the leader in that because he, like he kind of shuts down when he gets mad and then, or like not mad, he gets mad when he gets hurt. And then I'm like, well, let's talk it out. We got to talk it out right now. Like I'm such a, I just get like in it. I'm like, I'm ready, I'm ready to have the conversation. And he's like, I'm not. I'm like, okay, well I am. So whenever you're ready. Um, and I kind of push that forward because I've seen how like 
hiding things about money and being weird about money and not being honest about money just like ruins things. It ruins, um, trust. And I, I don't really want that. I'd rather just be like, okay, we don't want to talk about this, but we're gonna have to talk about it. So let's just talk about it. Like, let's get it over with. Yeah. I love what you're saying that it took you a while to get on the same page because I think that money is one of those things. It's easy to be like, well, like we just don't agree. And I I mean, I guess maybe that can happen, but that it's comforting to have the reminder that progress can happen and that communication like can be hard and you can still do it or the conversation cannot go well and you can like take some space and then have it again. Right. That like what you're speaking to is that it is a process and that it's an ongoing process and like the willingness to continue showing up and like doing that work. And obviously we're talking about this through the lens of money, but I think the same could be true for parenting or sex or, you know, like so many other things, right. That happen when you're sharing your life with someone. And I just like the ability to keep doing that and not need it to go perfectly. And like, I don't know, there's like something in that that I think is really comforting. Yeah. I think that, you know, what I realized pretty early on, well, maybe not early on enough, maybe a few years into us being together was that something I appreciate about Hossem that I do as well, but I didn't know a hundred percent if he did that, like whenever we have a disagreement or we do fight or there is something that's like emotionally charged, he does kind of like think, I mean, not kind of, he really thinks about it. Like he really, like he doesn't express it in the same way that I'm like such a talker. I'm so chatty that I'll be like, here's everything that's going on in my mind right now. Like not everybody's like that. That's okay. But he's definitely not like that all the time. Um, but he goes back and he tries to see like, how can I be better? How can I show up better for this? Or, you know, he doesn't use those words, which like sometimes I want those exact words to be said, you know, like I'm going to improve upon this, but then I see it happening in action. And I will say, I mean, Nicole knows, but not everybody that's listening to this knows that like our relationship has been a progress completely. Like it started off very difficult. It started off with lots of disagreements and culture clashes and language barriers and everything that could possibly be. And now I feel like we're in a really good place where we actually just talk about things and really discuss things in a way that feels good. And we both have that willingness of being like, I want this to be good. Like I want us to be happy together. So I'm going to, I'm going to think about things and I'm going to compromise and I'm going to meet you in the middle. And we both have done that. And that's essential because I think like if the expectation is each person has to show up perfectly and then keep that perfection the whole time. It's not even perfection. It's just like complete harmony all the time. Just like never any issue. Then it's like, well, someone might, maybe someone isn't getting their needs met as much because I find that when we want our needs met, we need to like be honest and say it. We can't always just expect the other person to be like, huh, I think that Jamie needs this today. It's like, no, so just like, a lot of times you have to be like, here's what I need today. And, you know, you trust that that person's going to be there for you. I mean, that's one of the only people that I know hundred percent, like I can say that to, um, you know, I have a small handful of other people, but that's it. And, you know, I think that like, that's really important in a marriage and him and I have like really cultivated that I've watched our, 
our marriage completely transform over the years. It has taken time though. It really Mm -hmm. has. And it's been, sometimes it didn't seem like we were going to make it past certain points. Yeah. I mean, as having obviously like been your friend the whole time that you guys have been together, I can definitely echo that, right? That there has been like a lot of change. And again, I think that's very real. I think it's really comforting. I think what you said about not needing everything to be smooth and harmonious all the time, like leaves, like if you're willing to be uncomfortable, like within yourself, within the conversation with someone else. And I don't think this just applies to like romantic partnerships. I think this is like relationships with anybody that like priority, like, what am I trying to say? Like prioritizing the relationship over the comfort, like allows you to have the uncomfortable, like hard conversations that can actually like get you like to where you want to be, like whatever the next step is, right. That it's like, I've had situations where I'm like, all I need is like to not rock the boat. Right. Or like, I need everything to like stay nice. Otherwise X, Y, or Z, you know, fears or bad things are going to happen. And like building up the resilience to let things be messier, I feel like has been a very helpful tool for me in lots of relationships. Absolutely. I feel like I've applied that to so much in my life. Maybe that's what I learned the most in 2018 was because I just used to be very severe about my life. Like if I launched a new project and it didn't go exactly the way that I thought it was going to go and I, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. Obviously that's not a good idea. And like if Hosem and I have a fight, that's like a really hard fight to deal with. Okay. That means we're not meant for each other and we have to break up like very severe or like, okay, if this friend or this or that, that like, we're not, we're not good for each other. Like just this kind of very black and white. And because I didn't want to deal with the kind of like middle messiness of like, well, maybe this is going to take some time. Maybe this means if, if this project is not taking off yet, like I just have to put my faith into it and go with the process. And you never know when something's going to hit. And like, you never know when you're hitting on a relationship conversation that's going to change the structure and foundation of what you've built. Like you just, you don't know. And so I've really started to take my focus off of all the results and just been like, I'm going to do this at the best of my ability. And then see what happens. Uh, I, I hope I'm explaining that in, in the way that it is in my head, but it's just, I would prefer to be like, I'm going to give this time and space for something to change for something, another idea for something to happen. Um, instead of being like, well, I'm just waiting for this to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and I have both lightly mentioned friendship a couple times throughout this conversation. I feel like that's could be like an interesting pivot. I've been surprised, although maybe I shouldn't be, by how often the the topic of friendship has come up within the community. We had a conversation about it like on the podcast Instagram account like relatively recently. And anytime I ask the community for topic suggestions of, oh, what would you love to hear talked about more on the show? Obviously there's lots of great ones that come through, but friendship keeps coming up, especially uh, along the lines of 
how to make friends as an adult or what happens in your life to your friendships, like as you grow and change, right? The sort of like evolution and how to handle relationships in that regard. And I don't know, I think that could be kind of an interesting thing to talk about, obviously, especially through the lens of you and I at this point have been friends for a really long time. Like I have some friends who I love dearly from high school, let's say. So they maybe are like uh, like predate me knowing you, but in terms of like depth of relationship and consistency of communication and like the things that we have been through together, like our relationship is my longest lasting relationship. Yeah. And I think that there, and so like, obviously that's like its own thing that obviously we could talk about, but I guess like getting into this conversation about friendship, especially like being in your thirties, having moved around as much as you have, what is something that has been either challenging for you when it comes to friendships or like something that's been surprising, like any entry point into this that you want to talk about? I think something that's been challenging is I have a hard time with friendships that require a lot, like a lot of upkeep and a lot of um, like constant communication. I used to like that in my, you know, early mid twenties, but then I found that as I've grown and matured and got into, you know, I'll be 34 this year that I don't like, I don't need my friendships as much. I want my friendships to be like enjoyable and supportive. I don't like have this, you know, chorus of people that I need to run every decision by all the time, which is what like I used to do. Um, I also have like a lot of support with my mom and Hossem that like, it doesn't, I have my, my, my feelings around friendship have changed where I'm like, I really would like us, like my friendships to feel like we're close without needing to discuss every tiny detail of our lives every moment, because I find friendships to like, like that to be very distracting. Like I didn't have like the last eight months, especially when I was living in um, the South of France, I didn't have any friends. It was the first time I think I've ever been somewhere that long and like had not made a friend. And it wasn't for lack of options, although kind of, because like, there's not a lot of people in the South of France at that time. Um, It was more like, I'm good. Like I don't need to have that as much. And that kind of made me think of when I am back in the U S like when I am back or, you know, when I am going to incorporate being social more and having more friendships, it's like, how can these be different? Because I don't, I want like shared experiences or I want like productive conversations. I can't just like have friendships where all we do is like, talk shit about other people or, you know, vent about our lives. And like, I don't want to give all the venting and all the frustrations in my life air all the time. Like, I just don't have time. Some things are annoying and fine, but like, I just move on. And so I think that's what changed a lot when I was away is like, I just, first of all, I was nine hours ahead of most people that I am friends with. So that was one thing I was just like, There was no one to talk to most of the time. And I, through that, just realized like I'm a lot happier when I don't have the opportunity or the need to like complain. Cause I think a lot of friendships, unfortunately, 
still are forged through like this collective complaining. And I just, I don't want to do it anymore. I can't, I don't want to spend that much time complaining. I want to like talk about possibility and opportunity and, you know, of course share in, you know, hard experiences or things like that. I'm not talking about that, but like, I don't want to spend most of my time just like lamenting life because I think that that becomes self-fulfilling. Like if you are always expecting the worst out of life and like using your life as sort of like this wry, ironic joke, running joke all the time, it's like, okay, well, good luck trying to be happy doing that. Like I, I prefer, I prioritize being happy and feeling good. So that means like, I can't always spend all my time just like complaining about things Mm -hmm. and, you know, bonding over like shared hatred. Just, I'm not interested in that anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much in there that you said that was really great. Um, this idea of being honest with yourself about what your social needs even are, right? Because I think a lot of this, you know, is like this sex in the city style, you know, or friends, obviously I'm like (laughs) throwing back to these shows for a reason, like that become sort of the iconic expectation for what our social lives are supposed to look like. And I think that doesn't work for a lot of people, maybe because of everything that you just said, or maybe they haven't found those people, or maybe they uh, don't have the time and resources to dedicate to those relationships, you know, when they have all these other things. Like, I think there's lots of different things that make that potentially challenging. And so this idea that you're speaking to for you personally of being honest about what it is that you need, both in terms of the types of relationships, how much maintenance, you know, they need, what the things that you're doing and talking about together are like on the whole, and then being able to let go of, I don't know, like striving for something like some kind of friendship that doesn't fit. Oh yeah. I, I really have let things go in the fact that like, I used to try to like say yes to everyone and like also make sure that I was always like catching up with people and cultivating relationships and things like that. And recently I saw someone that I used to be friends with and we kind of like lost touch. I saw her Instagram and she didn't follow me anymore. And the, my first thought was like, yay, like, good. Okay. We don't always have to keep in touch and stay friends forever. Like we don't have to, that's okay. And we really weren't like that compatible as friends either. Like you were total flake. And like, I don't like that. I only have a significant, like I only have a certain amount of time per week that I want to spend socializing. And if you're going to flake on me, like, okay, I'm not interested. And it was just kind of like, that was the first time I really was just, I wasn't like, Oh no, what did I do? What did I say? I was just like, great. One less person to think about. <laughs> like, I mean, there's so many people in the world. I, I know that sounds like maybe coming off a little cold, but it's not, it's just like, okay, like I wish you well, enjoy it, enjoy your life. But like, we don't need to be friends and that's okay. Like it's okay. I don't know. I, I just, and I want people to feel that way with me too. Like you don't have to, cause 
I also feel like sometimes people get really obligatory with their friendships. Like they have to stay friends with everyone that they've ever had like one drink with once. And now it's like, we're friends forever. And I don't know. I mean, okay, maybe if I were single, it would be different. Although I don't know. I don't know that that would be true. I mean, I do get a lot of like companionship through my marriage. Like we spend a significant amount of time together and yet give each other enough space that it's like, you can do what we, we just do whatever we want. We have separate gym memberships and all kinds of random stuff. But like, we just, I don't feel as much of a need to be constantly social. And, but also I do kind of like feel some sort of lingering guilt sometimes for like not always keeping in touch with people or like not always knowing what's going on with them. But at the same time, I'm like, isn't, isn't that okay? Like there, maybe it's okay that there are times when you're more social with someone and then less social with someone. And can't we like give ourselves a little room to be that? Like I, I've really tried to never be the kind of friend that's like, God, haven't talked to you in a while. Haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, I don't do that. I'm just like, cool. Like when we talk, we talk. I don't want to force anything on you. Maybe that's like, maybe that's going to change. Like I'm moving, um, settling down roots uh, back in Southern California. So maybe this will all change in the next few months. And I have more of like an established group of friends. I mean, I have a lot of friends already down there, but that might change. And I'm okay with that too. Like it's okay to like feel this way now. And then maybe in three months, I'm like, Hey, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to prioritize this a bit differently in my life because, you know, now I'm not traveling or now I'm not nine hours ahead in France. And like, you know, there were some things that I learned, especially in France that like, not everything can be true at the same time. Like, for example, I love working out and I love going to the gym, but there were like no, no, um, convenient gyms in the South of France. And so like, I just let that go. I was like, okay, I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. And I can tell you, I'm saying it very calmly, but this is not how I used to be. Like I used to be everything at once. I need to be able to perfectly do everything at once. And keep in touch with everyone and make sure no one like is mad at me and make sure like very controlling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of no, I mean, like I think about this a lot too, about there being sort of different seasons and different phases for things, whether that's like you are more creative at, you know, certain times than other times, whether it's like you said, Hey, this is a time when I'm really enjoying working out. And this is a time that it's not. And maybe it is literally seasonal. Maybe it's cyclical with like a menstrual cycle, right? Type thing. Or maybe it just is like a coincidental thing. I think this applies to like literally every area of our lives. Right. And is like definitely worth the reminder. And with friends specifically, something that I've been thinking about that like sort of echoes what you're saying too is not everyone is meant to be in your life forever, A, and that's fine. And not everyone fills the same role in your life. Um, Like something that I used to struggle with was feeling like, you know, if I liked someone or if we connected or if we had some kind of friendship that it had to escalate, right? Like, okay, well, we have to become closer. We have to talk more. We have to be really in touch. We have to do, right? Like trying to make all, like feeling like the pinnacle of all relationships is like they have to get to this like certain level of intimacy. And it was moving to Bend where I didn't know anyone and had, as you know, a really rough like first year and a half in terms of making friends. And 
it wasn't for a shortage of meeting lovely people. It was not meeting anyone that I felt that sort of like best friend, let's spend all the time together kinship with, which I had had, you know, like both with you and with other friends when I, in the past and when I was younger. And it took sort of stepping back and letting taking the pressure off and saying, okay, what if, you know, this person that you really like to go on hikes with, you see them like once a month for a hike. Like, can you just let that be what it is? Right. Or this friend that you have weekly writing dates with, those are lovely. So what that you don't spend Friday nights together. Right. And it like relaxing around that a made me feel a lot less anxious about friendship and also let me get more fulfillment out of different types of interactions. Like not everyone has to be your best friend in order for that relationship to be meaningful and to have a role in your life. Absolutely. And I think this is, this is the part where I'm getting interested in um, digging, like kind of digging further in my life is things that I have always put on autopilot now becoming more intentional about that too. being like friendship. It used to be like, just whoever wanted to be friend, like, you know, just kind of, I never thought about it really. I mean, sometimes it would come up where I'd be like, I can't be social right now. And then, you know, that would be the, the extent of it. But I think kind of thinking through, you know, there, there are certain things that in life that we, you know, we we think through like our work usually like people who I would say people who have more, you know, options and the privilege of having more options are able to think through their work, um, in their careers and, um, think through what path they want to take. But there's other things that we just kind of let like be this side part of our life that we don't really think through and maybe aren't like making that we're not like making it as good as it could be. Like I want better relationships with people um, as opposed to, you know, just like momentary need to like, I, I don't know. I don't really like that. Like, well, we're, we're just like, kind of obliged to see each other. Um, and I like what you've said about having like specific people for specific things. Cause I think in my twenties, it was like, someone needs to be everything to me. And like, they need to be able to show up in every single way. And like, I could call them anytime, any day and like all this stuff. But I think that's changed as well of like, there are certain people that just like fulfill different needs. And that's okay. Like we need to have, I think a little bit more of a flexibility with those relationships and friendships than we currently do maybe. And like, let things go when they go and not take it so personally. Like I've heard a lot of people, like, especially in our thirties, there's a lot of people that I hear. They're like, well, I never see this person because now they had a baby. And I'm like, but they had a baby, like, let it go. Like see them when you see them or see them on your, on their time. Like, that's okay. Like I, that's just such like an accusatory thing, um, where it's like, but that's a big change in life. So you have to like, kind of let your friend do what they're going to do. Like there's this weird expectation of like friendship where it's like, they have to be this huge, huge percentage of your time and energy in your life is friendship especially with women. I don't even find this as much with men. It's women. We are so like devoted to our friends, which is good. But at the same time, it can kind of like make us not dig into maybe some other parts of our life that we want to like, you know, this whole thing of like, you know, 
don't ever choose like your work over friends or something like that. But like, what if you are like writing a book and that's a big thing in your life and you don't have enough time to really devote as much to all your friendships? Like, isn't that okay to like take a step back from like, don't you think it's cool to like have your friends when you come back from that? Like, can't people just like give us like space to work on certain things or like need less time devoted? I I don't know. I think that like, I'm kind of just you know, speaking out loud a little bit, but like, I, I think that this like fluidity around friendships would be better than this like harsh severity that we currently have where it's like, well, they're like, they had a baby and now they don't have time for me. Or like, they're really busy and now there's not enough time for me. It's like, calm down, let Mm -hmm. people have their lives and like fit yourself in where you can or don't and like come back to each other. It, life is long. It's okay. I also feel like part of it is, you know, and obviously, you know, romantic and sexual relationships have their own like can of worms thing that could be like many other conversations. But I think at least we have some like language and communication expectations around either starting relation, those types of relationships, progressing them, ending them, transitioning them, having hard conversations within them that I think doesn't exist as much in friendships. And that that's something that I've been thinking about too. I mean, friendship has been a lot on my mind, especially the last like four or five months as like I have been having a hard time personally. And, you know, as Paul and I have been uncoupling and making these changes and stuff. And it's been very apparent to me, like who I feel like has been there for me and who hasn't. And, you know, that's caused some interesting like self-reflection of times when I feel like I have and have not shown up in the way that I would like for people that I care about and sort of pulling at this thread of what does it mean to me to be a good friend? And I don't think that there is like one stock answer to that that applies to every year of my life or every friendship. But I've been thinking a lot like on the heels of what you just said about that, you know, for someone that I love and want to have in my life, that the that friendship or like showing up has to be an acknowledgement of like where they're at or what's important to them, right? Like if someone's just had a new baby, like, okay, what is showing up for them look like? It's going to be different than maybe it was two years ago, right? Or like you said, if someone's like really knee deep in a creative project or, you know, someone like me that's going through like this kind of hard time, like what I need from people is different maybe. And what I'm available to give is different than maybe it will be a month from now or a year from now. And like you said, like that fluidity, I think there's like a lot of grace in that. And I also think that it opens up space to have, like I've had some really interesting conversations with friends even about like articulating my needs. Because I think there's this sort of like what you were saying about you and Hosem, sometimes there's this fantasy that like we're mind readers, right? Like, oh, you should just know what I need. And I think that's very often not the case, right? So for me to have to say like, hey, I would love some company while I'm packing my stuff. Can you come over, right? Or these types of things, like sort of pushing myself to ask more for what I need or have conversations with people of how can I show up for you? And I think a lot of these things are easier said than done. And exactly like what you said with you and Hosem, they they get better with practice, right? Like, Like having these uncomfortable conversations. But it's been like an interesting time for me to think like, okay, being more intentional about like who's important or where my energy is going. And then specifically, what does that look like? Right. Cause it's not enough for me to be like, okay, this person's important. It's just going to work itself out. I have found that sometimes that's not the case and it does require some more intentional action. And then what does that look like? Yeah. I, I think that that's really true. I mean, it's, I was thinking as you were talking that probably I've, I've thought about this more than, I mean, I know you've thought about it a lot, but like, 
more than maybe the average person because I am usually the one that has like, you know, like I, I went to France for a year. I'm not, I haven't lived in the same place for 10 years. Like I don't, I've moved around a lot. I've also been um, very, very focused on creative projects. There's, I have, um, you know, three parents. <laughs> I have two brothers. I have, you know, they have spout, like they have girlfriends, they have people like there's, I have a lot of people in my life that want a relationship. And, and so I've always had to really like, um, manage my time and manage people's expectations. And I think that like, probably I could do better at telling people what I need, like what you were talking about. Um, but often like, I don't really need a lot. Like I want my friendships to be like a source of companionship. Like I love having a movie day or like going somewhere together, like doing something fun together. And I think that like, that's sometimes hard to find because there is like, there is just this like intense expectation on friendships that like, sometimes I feel like I've been friends with people that like expect more than like what my mom expects from me. And I'm like, whoa, come on. Like I need to give more time to my mom than I do this friendship. Like that's a little much. And so I think like maybe the part of being intentional about it is also expressing those expectations too of like, you know, we can still be close. Like I, there, it was really interesting to leave for a year. And when I came back, know who I was still really close to. Cause like also there's a lot of ways to be connected to people now too. It's like, I put a lot of my life on Instagram and I think that that's great because there are a lot of people that I can't like update all the time of what I'm doing. Like I put where I'm moving. And so now there's like a bunch of people that know me that know that I'm going down to Southern California. Like, I think that that's really fun. And I interact with a lot of people on Instagram and a lot of like, um, of my friends on Instagram and have kept in touch with them because of that. And so I think like allowing for that too, there's a lot of like, you know, if you're only friends, like, I don't know, there's all these like expectations on friendship that I feel like we can um, examine a little bit instead of like holding people really like hostage to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, last thing I'll say before we pivot onto a different topic, I think it's really interesting for me to have these types of conversations because like neither of us have fancy solutions, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it, but I, I do think that there's something that's comforting and empowering about just, and this is obviously, we're just two people having, you know, one relatively short conversation around a huge topic like this, but the reminder that it is something that, you know, needs thought and changes over time and sometimes feels better than other times, right? Like just like anything else. And like you said, the questioning of assumptions, I think is really helpful. And just like for me, sort of my takeaway of this is like, oh yeah, like it's fine if it's actually not that simple sometimes, or if it feels different at sometimes versus other times. And that just like leaving more space for that to be true. And if there's anyone listening who like has challenges with friendships or is like, you know, one of the things I hear a lot in the community is like struggling to find people who want to do this, right? Like have deep conversations, right? Or like connect on those types of things that like, just again, the reminder, like you're not alone and that these things sort of, I think, take time, I guess. Um, and yeah, that, that, that there isn't necessarily like a simple solution. No. And I think like, 
it's also the thing with friendships is like every friendship is different and the way you show up for each type of friend might be different. Like for example, if, if a friend does have a baby, like you're going to show up a bit differently for that than you are with someone that, you know, is maybe single or going through something or like we also, that is okay to kind of like look at each one as its own kind of entity and relationship and kind of like decide how we want, how we can have a closeness with them without, you know, while being intentional about it. And because like everything is, it's all different. Like that's the thing. It's like, you can't, I mean, unless you have like one specific friend group, but I've, I've found that that a lot of women don't have that. Yeah. I have found the same thing. And, you know, I, something that I've been thinking about too, is like the value of not in like a high pressure way, but the sort of like state of the union relationship conversation, right. That I think we're more conditioned to do with dating. Like, Hey, like, are your needs being met? Like, what do you want from this? Like those sort of like, where is it going? You know, but not necessarily in a relationship escalator context, just like digging into that kind of stuff more. And I have found that that tends not to happen in, um, platonic relationships. And I'm trying to like bring that back a little bit or like bring that in. And, you know, like there's nothing wrong with being like, hey, like, how are you feeling about this? <laughs> you know, like if it's someone that you're dedicating, you know, we all have like a finite amount of time and resources and energy and all this stuff. And, you know, like, like you said, being thoughtful about who that is and like, it's fine to check in. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely not something that we ever, I've never heard that before. Like, how are we feeling about this friendship? Yeah. Like it sounds silly almost. And yet, I mean, then I don't know, uh, like, I'll be honest, I haven't had any conversations that sound exactly like that, but that thought process has definitely changed or like nudged me in the direction of having like different conversations, right? Like, I feel like I'm answering maybe that same question without being like, so how are you feeling about this? And yet I would love to get to the point where that's the case, right? Or like, Hey, you're going through this busy time. Like, how do I fit into that or not? Right. Or just like being able to like name what's true. There's something in that, that I'm very interested in. Yeah. I love that. So switching gears a little bit, one of the things that I know that you've been excited about discussing lately, I mean, I guess not only just lately, but is what it takes to actually build a joyful, intentional life. I think that's been a theme of a lot of the things that you have already shared. Um, So when it comes to that topic, where would you love to start? Because I'd love to get specific about this. So I think I would probably want to start at, hmm, that's a good question. Okay. I think that the first thing that came in my mind was like letting go of a lot of these societal expectations, which sounds really, it's like, oh yeah, okay. But these are ingrained. And I've had to, in setting myself up to be happier, more joyful, see the good, it takes a lot of mental willpower, I guess, like to not think that my life will be better at a certain time to actually be able to not only recognize, not only be able to say gratitude, but to actually feel grateful and to also reconcile the fact that like, 
there are people with more, there are people with less, there are, it's like, I find all of that very tricky to kind of like balance and hold on to of being like, okay, how do I carve out like a small place of joy for myself um, while all of this is still true? Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe that's a good question. Getting specific, and obviously it's not going to be an all-encompassing answer, but what does a joyful life look like for you right now? Like, what does that include? A joyful life is, for me, is having space, like having time and space to come up with ideas, come up with new um, projects, and also having a certain amount of money and also like living in harmony with myself because so much of what used to not bring me joy and make me upset or, you know, cause a lot of pain was how I was perceiving my life. And it was always through this lens of like, I'm not good enough. So everything was tinted with I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And so I couldn't get like past that. Everything I did felt like I was just trying to prove to myself that I was good enough. And now I'm trying to get beyond that point where it's like the good enough is based on a comparison of others no matter what because the enough, there has to be some sort of standard. So if I'm trying to be good enough, it means I'm trying to keep up with someone or be better than someone. And I'm really trying to figure out for me what I need. I mean, this has been an ongoing process and I've gotten clear and clear and clear, but I'm really trying to find what it means for me to be having a really fulfilling good life, but also dealing with the reality that like some things might not come true for me. Like, and that's a really weird thing to experience because, and like some things that I thought would come true for me are, aren't coming true. And I'm okay with that. You know, I always imagine that I would at this point be like really, really, really financially stable, like with a lot of money or, you know, with a best-selling book, obviously those are dreams, but they were, you know, I really believed in them. And I think I'm recognizing that like those things take a lot and a lot of time to build when you don't already come from it. And I didn't, re I didn't realize that. Like I didn't, I mean, of course I always expected that like you have to work for what you get, but I think reconciling that with like how many people in this world didn't have to, or like were born into that. That's, that's tough for me to compare myself to. And also that like, I think it's okay if we can be honest with ourselves about like, well, maybe, maybe that's not going to come true for me. And can I be happy without that? Can I be happy with a different life than I thought that was going to happen for me? Can I? Um, because I think there's like two rules, schools of thought. There's like the one where it's like, 
never give up, never give up on your dreams. And I feel like sometimes you have to kind of give up on something that might not make you that happy or like might make you so miserable getting there that the payoff is not going to be, it's not going to be able to override how much it took to get there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think it's funny, like the theme of so much of what you're saying is this like stepping back, like pulling at the threads a little bit, right? These things that I like always said that I wanted or always thought that I had to do, like, do I actually, right? Like, what if that doesn't happen? Can I be happy in the absence of that? Have I like deferred all of my joy onto this future time when these specific set of conditions comes true? Okay. What if it doesn't come true, right? Like there's just, I think there's something in that and like having to pull it back into, you know, again, this question of like, what, does a joyful life look like for me right now? And what are things that I do have control over and can do to like do that more intentionally? Yeah. I, I think that that's been a lot of like, I want a more, I've I've said this a lot and I really like, like I want a more accessible joy. I, I believed for so long that like joy was just something was something you achieve your way into. Like you achieve your way into feeling good enough. You achieve like once these things happen, then the feeling comes. And and then I've now I'm like, oh man, not what happens. Like that's really not. Um, and so now I have to find a new way. And that's been like the crux of my life is just like, how do I find a way to continue to do things that bring me joy, but also not put all of my self-worth and all of my self-esteem on like whether they are received in the way that I want them to be received or like, you know, I think that I've realized like things take a lot longer than I think they do. And I need to really dive into that and like get really clear on the process I want to do. Like I've always wanted to write a book, but I've watched people write books. I've watched friends write books and publish books. And the process is something I don't know that I would enjoy. So it's like, do I want to, is the process of writing a book and having it published um, something worth the result? And I don't know. And I think these are questions like I I really want to ask myself and I want to get clear on because I don't see people doing that. It's like, as much as I, as much as there's a desire and a drive to like keep up and be impressive and like show and be like, announce this book deal or announce this thing or, you know, announce these partnerships or whatever. I'm like, but would I actually want to do those? And so kind of like always checking myself against like, do I want to do this to show people that I've done it? Or do I actually day to day want to do this? And that's where this idea of like, it takes longer than we think it is comes in because it's like, that's your life. Like it takes longer to build into that than it, than you think that it does. And so you got to actually want to do that process. You want to actually, and And sometimes I find out that I'm like, I don't really want to do that process. (laughs) Like then I have, which is great information because then I can like take it out of my brain and I can stop thinking about it. Yeah. And free up space for something else. Yeah. Right. So you recently taught a workshop focused on your intention setting process. Obviously I know that that would be way too much content to go into right now, but can you 
talk a little bit about um, what that process is and what it's done for you? So it's essentially been a, uh, when I, back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, I started journaling every day. I, I, it started, it was an inspired by um, morning pages, um, which is from the artist's way a book on creativity and uh, like unleashing your creative self. Um, and though that was super helpful. I healed a lot in those morning pages, but then I got to the point where I was like, I feel like I'm kind of circling the drain here and, um, I'm just venting into a journal, which doesn't feel very productive to me. Um, so I started this process of writing out, um, a couple or you know, two to three pages a day of like how I want my life to feel, but in the affirmative. So like, I would always say like, I am effortlessly happy. Money flows to me with ease. Um, my marriage is a source of support and love and things like that, where it's like, it wasn't already happening yet. Not all of them. Some of them were, but like, it wasn't already happening. And, but I, kept writing it and kept writing it and the repetition of every day and the consistency of doing it. I mean, it comes from manifestation and it comes from things like law of attraction. But of course, like I kind of adapted it to make it a little bit more for me because some of that I feel like is, you know, like believe in something and then it just like shows up on your doorstep, which I don't really believe in. So when I started doing that and writing those out, you know, I started to pay attention to, okay, when am I coming up with a new idea? What makes me feel good? And it like kind of started changing my mind around. Um, I was always in the past, like kind of veering toward negative thinking all the time. Like it was always, that was my first thought was a negative thought. Um, and I wanted to really change that and start thinking in a more positive, productive way not to, you know, ignore my feelings. I am not good at that. And I don't ever believe in that. I definitely express myself. Um, and I listen to my feelings, but I also think in the past I gave my negative feelings or like my sadness or my, you know, um, kind of like wallowing or pity or self pity or anything, um, a lot more air than I needed to give it. Um, like, I needed to really figure out this momentary feeling, but it's like, maybe it was just momentary and I could just go past it. Um, and so that was kind of the focus was, okay, I want to start my day every morning knowing how I want to feel, knowing what I want my life to feel like. And it started to, after a while, I mean, it took so much longer than I thought it was going to take, but after a while it started to really, happen. Like it started to change my mind because I realized I was like, if I can convince myself of these negative stories I have of myself, so then I can, then logic must be true. Like logic must say that I can then instead convince myself of positive stories of myself. So without evidence, if I can convince myself that I'm never good enough, I'm inadequate, da, 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 then can't I without evidence, quote unquote evidence, um, that's what my brain says, that like I can convince myself that I am amazing. I'm great. Wow, I'm so talented. I make money with ease. It's so easy for life to be good. Like then I could do that. Um, and it started to work. I mean, I still have some days where it's not sometimes reality 
kind of takes over a little bit and I get back into some, you know, anxiety or like fear. Um, but then I just kind of come back to like, that's not how I want to feel. That's not how I want to default into because I've seen how much that like all of 2017, I wrote intentions and then surprise, surprise, 2018, I had the best year of my life. And yes, maybe people can say, Oh, well you were in France. Of course. No, I've been, you can be very, very, you can be depressed in France. Believe me, like you do not, it does not cure everything. Just the moment you step off the plane in Paris, like it really doesn't, you take yourself with you. And so part of it was, yes, like taking a risk and doing something different. But another part of it was like, I was able to, through this process of setting intentions, through this process of like wanting to see the good in my life, I was able to not experience my life in retrospect. I feel like I left France being like, I was there for all of that. I was so present. I enjoyed every, or I saw, I didn't enjoy every moment, but I saw, I felt every moment of that year. Mm -hmm. And like, that's not something I've been in the past, such an avoider so much of like, sometimes I would just like, you know, just not even recollect an experience or like remember it or commit it to memory at all. And like, I felt that I was fully, fully immersed in that experience. And that's how I want to feel now too. Even though I'm not in France, like I want to, I want that to be my life. Like I want my years to feel long, not short because I was just on autopilot, not even thinking, not even assessing whether I'm doing something that makes me feel good, assessing whether I'm around people that make me feel good or I'm, or if I'm even adding anything to their life or any of that, I don't want that to happen. I want my life. I want my years to feel long. Yeah. Oh, that's a really clear way to sum up a lot of what you just said. And obviously the, you know, daily morning intention setting process, writing that out, like that's a specific thing. Are there maybe one or two other specific things that you feel like contribute to or contributed to that year feeling long or that when you think about, okay, I want my years to feel long, like in that good awake way, like what are some like either touchstone habits or specific things that you know help you with that? Well, the big thing is I just really whenever I, I was very, very vigilant about my thoughts. Um, I know hundred percent that circumstances do not create well-being as much as, I mean, okay, there, there is a baseline of well-being for circumstances. I'm not trying to invalidate like how hard it is to be in poverty or anything, but like for the most part, for most, the average person, circumstances don't create well-being. It's how we think about circumstances that create well-being, how we, how resilient we are, how we react to them. Um, and I think like I was and continue to be very vigilant about my thoughts and not letting them, um, kind of like spiral how they have in the past. And that's like a very big habit of mine where, you know, when I feel myself maybe, going into a little bit of a negative place, I bring myself back and I self-talk, but also I talk out loud. 
like I experience it, you know, whether it was with Hossam or whoever I was with, I mean, mostly it was with Hossam, but like, you know, saying it out loud. And then also the biggest thing is I used to not have any pictures of myself, especially like I had a lot of insecurity about my body. I didn't want to take full body pictures. I didn't want any pictures. And when we got to Paris, uh, Hossam is so into pictures. Like he wants a picture in front of things that you're like, this is not a thing, but he wants it. So you're like, okay. Um, and his enthusiasm for pictures and like looking at my camera roll, I was like, I don't want to be not present in this experience. Like I'm going to look like I, it's going to seem like I wasn't even there. And so I put myself like front and center in the camera and had Hossam take pictures of me everywhere. And I, through that process, just like became so much more comfortable in my body, realizing that like some things can be thought you can think your way into some situations or some feelings, but a lot of times it's action. And like, I had to take the action to, if I want to feel more comfortable in my body, I don't want to be blindsided by a picture a year that I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know I looked like that. But it's like, if I take a picture every day, take selfies of myself, like I can actually look at that's who I am. That's what I look like. That's my body. Like I'm going to neutralize that instead of being like, I must be, I must look good in every single picture. Like, I really don't care. I don't need to look good in every single picture. I just want the memory. Um, and that was like so valuable because I was so, when I got to, so we spent four months in Paris and then in July, this past summer, we went to the French Riviera and we were in Cannes, which is like, you know, where the film festival is and everything. And it was the height of summer and I was there and I was so comfortable in my body. Like, I just didn't care. I was in a swimsuit. I don't, I was, and I was sitting there and like, there's, you know, I mean, it's the French Riviera and the French are extremely thin and have, they're not that welcoming to like people who are not thin and smokers and, you know, live that lifestyle. But like, I was just on the beach, like in the water, it was like, so hot and I was in the water and I was looking up and I was just like, nobody on this is possibly happier than I am. So what am I going to do? Like, am I really going to say that like, I'd be happier if I was a size two in a bikini? Like, really? How could I be any happier than I am now? And like, it was things like that, where I was having to, it's like, I had to just keep telling myself that because we forget, like, and I, it seems kind of like, over, it's like a little bit much. It's like that enthusiasm is kind of like eye rolly a little bit to a lot of people. But I, that's the only thing that helped me. It was like, I kept telling myself that this is, I, I want, I told myself what I was experiencing instead of letting like my, my anxiety brain tell me what I was experiencing. I was like, no, you are the happiest person on this beach. And I was like, yeah, I am. Hell yeah, I am. Like, I don't know. It sounds kind of weird, but I just had to like keep reminding myself because it was like, but the other thing is just a story too. I'm going to tell myself better stories about my life. Mm -hmm. 
I love that so much. Um, the, one of the last things that I wanted to ask you before we start to wrap up, um, has been the subject of a couple of conversations that we have had, um, in the last month. Um, I don't even remember the context in which you first said this, but the reflection question that you've been working with that I've now been thinking about the question of come January of 2020, what will I be really happy and grateful that I have like already started or already put in place and sort of using that as a planning metric for this year. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So the reason I started thinking about that is because, so what happened? I think it was 2017 into 2018. So in 2017, I started like committing to working out, you know, consistently. And so it was the first time that I had had a new year start And I was already in the middle of something that I wanted to do. I mean, there were other habits too, but that was usually like, I mean, growing up with a lot of feelings about my weight, of course, the new year is always like, lose weight, go to the gym, and so there was a lot of like uh, charge around the new year. And that was the first time that I was like already in the process of, I mean, I was working out not um, to lose weight, but because it just like mental health wise, it was like changed a lot of my thought processes and was really good for me. And I wanted to just feel better. And so that felt, I was like, huh, that's an interesting thing to feel. And then 2018, I started to use Instagram in a lot more of a consistent way. Um, I'm in the past I've like been in and out of social media. Like I'll post a lot and then I won't. And then this, and then wonder like, why is this not growing? Or why is this like, not, uh, why am I not like connecting to with people as much and da, 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 da. And so in 2018 into 2019, I was like, cool. I'm already like a year into something that I've been really committed to. And then it got me thinking, I was like, man, that's a good feeling and not having to feel like I need to start everything at once. I was like, so what can I do in 2019 to like set my future self up for some good things? Like what would I, what will I be so happy that's already in place? And I, that has been a nice little like motivation because as I've, you know, done new projects or, you know, maybe it's going to take more promotion or maybe it's going to take more time to build or whatever that has like given me some kind of like runway instead of being like, well, I needed to have done this yesterday and I'm really desperate for it to work. And so that's not going to, now I like, am really frustrated, but instead I'm like, I'm giving myself time because January, 2020, Jamie is just going to be so happy that I've done some of this stuff like go me. And so it's like, I just wanted to give my future self a win already because I know how it feels to be like, okay, I've got one layer down. So now I can, instead of, I'm always working on the foundation. I'm always starting again. I was like, no, I want like many layers. Cause like I've, I've watched a lot of people who have you know, done some of the things that I really want to do and have cultivated some of the things that I really want. And I see like, even though we can buy into this idea of like overnight success, but really I'm like, they've been kind of like doing it consistently for a long time. So I think that 
I need to show up consistently for these things too. It's not just going to happen overnight and I shouldn't expect it to, and I don't need it to, um, because I'm enjoying the process of building it. Yeah. I love that. Will you share one specific thing either that you're thinking about or that you've started working on or that you're laying the foundation for that falls under this, like come next January, I'm going to be really happy that I did what I'm doing now bucket. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, um, a couple, last, was it last week, just last week? Um, I launched a print shop, something I've always wanted to do. Nicole and I actually launched a pop-up print shop many moons ago. Um, by the way, like some people that said that they still have those prints. Oh, I know. Isn't that the best? Well, sidebar, some people that said they still have those prints and also like because of the length of our friendship, because of the different things that we've done together. And like, there's some folks listening that maybe haven't heard your other episodes or that don't know, like that they don't know that we were business partners for like three or four years, right? That like, there's such an other history here also. Yeah, I know. Um, so I launched a print shop which is something I've been thinking about and putting in a lot of time into. And that's the thing where, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about how I wanted that to be structured. And I got a lot of differing advice on like, well, just do like limited quantities or just do like one at a time or this or that. And like, I just kept thinking about like, what will January, 2020 Jamie want from this print shop? And it's like, all I kept seeing was just like, so many prints available that like anybody can get. And I'm not doing this like false urgency about it. I'm just like, if you like what I'm writing and like, you like my designs, like check it out. You know, like I just wanted this like abundant shop where people can like be inspired and, and have something on their walls and like maybe different sizes. Maybe I do the distribution myself eventually, or like, just kind of like putting it out there and not being like, this needs to be, this needs to make X amount of money per month or I'm giving up. It's like, no, I just, I want this out there and I want to build this and I, you know, need to like get better pictures and things like, like, it's just fun to kind of like think about. And then you never know, like you never know when something is going to hit. You never know when you've made something that like, it's really going to resonate with a lot of people. You just don't know. And it's like, so that's the big one. And then there's some other things I have in place of like redoing my personal, like my personal website, getting more workshops up there and just kind of having like more of me to like, you know, as my social media grows, like I've had points in my life where like my social media, like at the height of when like Facebook pages were great, I have like 20,000 people on Facebook, but I didn't have anything to like feed that into. And so I also have like, I started back in November, they're called Friday letters. And I was like, okay, I want, cause what's inspired that? Cause I write a letter, like an email every single Friday and send it out to my list. What inspired that was I wanted a column. And so I had asked around to like some of my editors that I know from like in style, or, um, I think I talked to someone from the pool, which is now like which has now uh, gone bankrupt, unfortunately. Um, but they, um, and I had pitched a column, but then I was like, you know what? I've done a lot of writing for other publications and I never get something back for me. And I never own any of the people. Like I don't own any information from anybody who's shared it. It's just like, I do it and it's done. And so I was like, why don't I just create my own column? 
and then I write whatever I want and I, and I get emails and I get to talk to people directly. And so that is something that when it became, when it was January, 2020 or January, 2019, actually, cause I had started in November. I was like, Oh my God, thank God I had already done that. Like I felt so good. I was like, it's already like two months in place. And I've done it every Friday. And like, these are just like things that I am so happy that I've already been doing. And I don't have to like reinvent every time. Like, I think this is a time where I'm really building. And I thought in the past that I've been building, but I realize now I've never built like this. Yeah. And this idea of like, well, trust the timing also, right? Cause like, this is obviously the right time for that to be happening. And that there is that you can just like start things when you want to start them. It doesn't have to like, this is a new year and therefore X, Y, Z, right? Like you can start it in November. You can start a print shop in February, right? There's no like rules around that. Oh yeah. yeah. I had to really let go of that because January this past January has always been to me like the worst month to start things because it's always so busy or like people aren't really back yet from anything and or you're like traveling or something like I'm always like why is January I mean I know why because it's the start of a new year but I I always like I usually get into the groove a little later than January yeah yeah I think, I mean, obviously we could talk about a bunch more things, but I think that's a good place to start to wrap up. And as you know by now, the way we end these episodes are with a series of community questions. So this season we have eight questions that the Patreon community has put forth that all guests are answering if you're down to answer some random questions. Right. Yeah. Okay. What's something that you do purely for fun and joy? I read any novel I want. I don't care if it's a beach read. I don't care if it's like, so like just total cheesy romance. I just like lose myself in a book. I don't even care anymore. And it's like the best thing I've ever done for myself. What's something that really makes you feel at home? Uh, Hassan. What's one thing that you do as regular maintenance in your most important relationships that you feel like helps to keep them strong and healthy? It's a good one. Yeah, it's interesting too on the heels of everything we've already talked about. Yeah. I mean, I would say either like a, a FaceTime or a phone call, you know, and not, and, and prioritize that instead of being like, well, I'm too busy to do that. But like, I, I'm not against the phone. I like the phone. Oh my God, same, I don't know. I'm not same. that malicious. Yeah. All I want, I mean, clearly all we want to do is talk on the phone. Um, right. but I will say just as I know the point of these questions is for you to answer them, but to sort of like reflect back on you, what I think one of the answers is about you to that question, right. About something that I feel like you do really well in relationships is, that I feel like you're really clear about when you can and cannot like make time to connect, right? Like, oh, I'm, this isn't going to work for me today, but like, how about Friday, right? Like, I think you're really intentional with your time. Like you're comfortable giving a no, at least, I mean, obviously I can only speak to our friendship and that like the sort of effect of that is that you're really present when you do schedule the time. Yeah, that's insightful. I, I, I would say that that's very true. I, 
I don't really like to show up and be distracted or stressed if I'm going to have a phone call or like hang out with someone. So yeah, I am pretty comfortable with that and like saying, well, I can do another time that works better. Um, I do that. Yeah. I do that with mostly everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think you definitely do. What are three things big or small that you're feeling grateful for right now? Uh, one is finding a really great apartment pretty easily in Calabasas and being able to be 15 minutes from Malibu and probably be like a total beach bum this summer, as is my true self. Apparently, I didn't know that. Uh, number two is really giving myself the time and um, space to like figure out a lot of this stuff that I'm thinking about. And three, you know, having even though we're moving down to LA, we spent a month here in the Bay area and spending time with my mom and kind of like making sure that that was a priority after being away for a year, but also in general, like catching up with a lot of people via phone and on Instagram and this and that now that I'm back, um, has been like after being alone and like not having that much communication for that long I'm really grateful for like, nobody has made me feel bad or like nobody has said anything about like, yeah, you didn't really keep in touch with me when you were in France. Like everyone's just excited to like talk again. Yeah. The next question is about boundaries. What's one boundary of yours that's important to you right now? And what does it look like to enforce it? I don't work on the weekends at all. So I am, that means I have to be extremely focused during the week, which means I have to, like Nicole said, like say no to phone calls sometimes and say no to going out to lunch and, and, you know, enforcing boundaries so that I can like actually do things on the weekend and have fun and like take two days off. Yeah. What's one of the last things that you felt truly excited about? being 15 minutes from Malibu. Yeah, that's, I'm excited for you. That's, I'm also excited to visit you. I'll drive my van down there. That sounds yeah. great. Okay, perfect. Um, so obviously I've asked you this question a couple times now, but uh, any books, uh, one book, two books, three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you that you recommend or reread most often or anything that has um, been particularly enjoyable in the last year? Um, I would say the top three is by the same author, any book by Kristen Hanna is my favorite book ever. She's a novelist. She wrote The Nightingale. And also she came out with last year with The Great Alone, which was truly one of the most amazing books ever. I mean, it's a very big book, so I'm sure many people have read it already. But I I mean, Kristen Hanna books start off, you're like, huh, am I going to get into this? And then by the end, it's just like weeping oh my God, I can't believe I don't get to read the rest of the life of all of these characters. <laughs> I'm obsessed. So all three is a Kristen Hanna book, like any book. So uh, last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Okay. A good question that always makes people think that I love is, what would my life look like if I prioritized being happy every single day? Mm, that's such a good one. Yeah. 
I love that. Um, what's the best place for people to find you these days and say, hi, do you have a favorite way to connect right now? Yes, you can find me on Instagram and I, I am in my DMS quite a lot. I love chatting, um, with people. And so Instagram is the best way, but also probably the best, best way is my Friday letters. Um, if you, you know, want kind of like more long form writing and just like more intentional thinking about life. Um, I write, I send those every Friday. And so that's a great way to connect. Those are the top two. And also, I mean, if you want to check out my print shop, you can do that too. I will put links to all of those things in the show notes. Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you. This is amazing as always. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net, so go say hi. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. This show is made possible by awesome people like Liz. Hi, Liz. Hello. How are you? I'm excited to do a fun little round of rapid fire questions if you're ready. Ready. Let's do it. All right. What are you totally obsessed with right now? Um, Well, I just moved to Lisbon, Portugal a month ago. So I am totally obsessed with just exploring the city, kind of getting lost in back streets, figuring out what neighborhoods I want to hang out in, um, just getting to know the city as much as I can. That sounds so fun. I was recently thinking – how different different people's travel styles are. And like, I'm someone who like my favorite thing to do in a new place is just walk around. Kind of like you said, like get lost in the back streets or just like really see the city on foot. And that's not, I mean, I mean, I know that's something that a lot of folks like, but it's not something that everybody likes. And so it's like nice when I can find someone to travel with that also is like, let's walk around all day. (laughs) Yes. It's like my favorite thing. Um, My Fitbit tells me that I walk like 20,000 steps a day. So it's definitely something I spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Last time I was in New York, which is where I grew up, I was there for like 24 hours kind of in between a road trip between a few different live events. And um, I had my Garmin on and I wound up walking 18 miles in the city. I'm like, oh, okay. This has been a day. This is (laughs) why I feel so tired. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Exactly. What's an intentional money-related decision that you've made recently? Um money related. So my partner and I moved into a more expensive apartment than we were planning to. Um, So kind of like all of the research that we did before coming to the city, we had some budget numbers in mind, but then we got here, we visited 20 different apartments. um, And this one we really loved. We liked the place, we liked the location, um, but it was a little more than we wanted to spend. I always... I guess I joke that I'm fiscally Jewish, um, so I don't like to spend more than the bare minimum that you need to spend on things, and I never really spend more money on myself um, when I can, and I think that, that this apartment was like a big step for us to be like, no, we have the money, like this can fit in our budget, and it's really nice, so we should spend that money. Um, I've always been such a saver that I just keep like heaps of money in savings accounts that isn't helping me. So this is like one of the first decisions that I've ever made of like, 
no, spend more. Like, don't worry about it so much and spend and enjoy the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The idea of being really clear on is spending this extra going to make us that much happier? And if he answers yes, and you can afford to do it, then yeah, I get it. Totally. Um, What's one thing that you've been struggling with lately? Something that you've found challenging? Um, well, so my mom passed away two years ago on Valentine's day. Mm, Um, so Valentine's day has been like the worst day for me. Um, so I've really been struggling with that. And I feel like, um, the lead up to these holidays is super interesting in that, like from, from a commercial point of view, like the stores are packed with things for this holiday. And for me, like this holiday will only represent my mom dying. So to see everything in stores and commercials and like in the world about this day for basically like from Christmas, it's Valentine's day stuff that gets in in everything. Um, I really struggle with that. And I feel like it's something that I, I don't, I thought it would be easier the second year. So I guess it's just been, it's been interesting to see how it affects me. And like some days I wake up and it's totally fine. And other days I'm hit with it and it feels as raw as it felt when it first happened. And I I think that like everyone handles grief differently and everyone goes through their own process. And I'm not trying to like compare myself to other people. It's, it's just way harder than I expected it to be. Yeah. I mean, that's a really honest answer. Obviously you're speaking to your specific experience, but I remember during this past like winter holiday season, I was like personally having a pretty tough time and just like talking to people about how the holidays can be a really tough time for lots of folks for different reasons, whether it's like family of origin stuff or, you know, specific loss or grief, like you're mentioning. And obviously for you having that tied in with Valentine's Day is maybe more unique, but yeah, I think that just like having something like that happen also, like you said, makes you pay attention more to like what the hullabaloo is of the lead up to things. Right. And if that isn't something that feels good for you, that it's like, Oh God, this is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, like most people wouldn't even notice it. Like Valentine's day is not like a big holiday. It's not like a big thing for most people. Um, and if anything, you notice that you're just like, oh, consumerism. Um, but for me, it's it's this tie to the, like one of the worst days of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What's something that you feel like you'd really love to learn more about this year? Um, cooking. So I like moving into this new apartment. I've been traveling for the past like five, six years. So I've been kind of moving around to different places every few months. Um, and this is the longest I'm going to be staying in one spot. So I like have a proper kitchen and it has like real pots and pens and like fancy cutting boards and knives. So I really want to get better at cooking and really learn like new flavor combinations and like understand how things go together and like different ways to make something taste really good. Um, I really want to spend a lot more time cooking now that I have a kitchen and I can. That sounds like such a fun project. Um, last question. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Oh, adult friendships. Mm, yeah. Um, I feel like we talk about relationships a lot. We talk about, and like got kind of navigating that, but like so many of us, like we have friends from when we were kids and then like, it's just so different making friends as an adult and even the relationships that with the people that I've known since I was born, like how they change and like what different people come to mean to us. And also like what being a friend is as an adult. And Mm -hmm. like, 
it's okay to not see each other, not talk for a while and then get back together. And I feel like there's just a lot of confusion about what it means to be a friend in our thirties. Yeah. That's something that I want to talk about a lot more on the podcast this year. So clearly you and I are of the same mind in that regard. I agree. Um, and you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season and helps to pay the guests. Can you share why you decided to support the show? Um, yeah, so I get, I've been reading your blog since Stratajoy days. I was so going to say, you've been, you've been in my corner of the internet for a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, a long time ago. So I really feel like this this is the first chance that you've like asked for money. And I've been able to say like, yes, I want to give you money. Like I've spent so many times. <laughs> so many hours, like reading the content that you've written, I've related to you on like a whole host of different things through the years. Like, um, I started doing triathlons like a few months before you started running, um, like kind of gone through a lot of things and reading like your writing on all of it has helped me through a lot of stuff, even though this is the first time we're ever talking. So yeah, I think that was a big thing of being able to say, this is this is content that I get value from. And this is a person that I want to support, because I really believe in what you're doing. And I think that, like, our money should go to support that. It's something that you say a lot. But like, I think, as I get older and as I make more money, I really like feel that so much stronger. And I, I do want to pay for things that matter to me. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like this is an opportunity to be able to do that. Is there something that you love most about either being in the community or one of the bonuses or something that you have particularly enjoyed? I mean, I think everyone says this, but the emails. (laughs) Most people do say that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the emails are just like, it always gives me time on a Friday to reflect about my own life as well, like whatever you're talking about. And I love reading them. But then I sit down for a minute and I think about like how that relates to what's going on in my life and like what, what's like how I, how I feel about something that a lot of times I I haven't ever thought about before. So I, I feel like it's really a great way to kind of wrap up the week. I'm so glad that you feel that way. It's always so nice for me when people like respond to the emails or when they share maybe a way that it resonates with them. That's something that maybe I would have never thought about, right? Like it's so funny how someone sharing the truth of their experience like brings up something for other people, even if it seems unrelated, right? Like I get that a lot from reading and listening to people's, you know, whose work that I love, like makes me think of things that maybe is not even what they meant for it to trigger, but there's like something helpful in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so you just shared that you have recently moved to Portugal. Um, Do you want to share a social media link in case people want to speak? Hi. Um, No, I don't. I love it. Good (laughs) answer. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I had a, a, I don't know if you listened to all of last season of the podcast, but um, Kirby is the first guest that I've had on that was like, nope, I don't really do social media. I don't really need you to link to it. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's so good. So to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight-episode season. I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together and get to chat like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can, and no matter what, we're in this together. (laughs) 